The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 104. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Welcome back to the cabin, Paul. How you doing? I'm very well. How's yourself? I am good. I am good. But, but I am good for, well, I'm good for several reasons. <laughs> One, because we're doing our first listener stories episode of the new year. Mm. And I do really love doing those. We have, uh, we have a massive, massive backlog of stories, but that's a great, as far as I'm concerned, it's a good problem to have. Yes. Uh, but I'm also good. Because um, I have recently begun experimenting with a, a new way to treat my depression. And, and that is, I, I've been microdosing psilocybin. And mm. uh, yeah, so for, for our listeners who don't know, psilocybin is the stuff that makes, well, it's the magic in magic mushrooms, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, a psych, it's a psychoactive chemical. But the idea being that if you dose it at very, very small levels, you don't get the high but it can help kind of rewire your brain if you sort of, you, you kind of have to work at it as well in terms of dealing with your issues. And mm. I got more issues than TV Guide. But um, at the same time, it, it uh, yeah, it, it can help you kind of dig out of some of the grooves that we carve in our brain with, with depression. Mm. Because, you know, I mean, depression, obviously, we've, we've talked about this many times on the show before, but it, in a lot of ways, it's like bad wiring. You kind of carve a groove in your brain with repeated behaviors, repeated negative thought patterns. But there's emerging research to show that psilocybin, when, again, when dosed properly in, in, in small amounts, can help you slowly work your way out of those grooves. And so, yeah, so I, I've been doing that for, I guess I'm, I'm in my second week now. So it's, it's too early to say uh, yeah. whether or not it's, it's a massive success. But certainly, I feel like when the lows hit, they're not quite as low as they would ordinarily have been. Mm. Mm. Is there a, a prescribed amount of time that the benefits become sort of recognizable or is it a basically a trial and error? Cause I, I know a bit about the experimentation that's been going on over sort of the last 15, 20 years in regards to using this kind of treatment. And, and no, for, no firsthand experience yourself. I'm sure uh, <laughs> not with microdosing at least. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, microdosing was never my thing. Um, <laughs> I've always been too greedy. Much more of a macro dose kind of guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was the 90s. 
Ah, uh, fair. I did that <laughs> once, exactly once. And I, I spent several hours wandering around Revelstoke, uh, cons- talking to the, the girl I was seeing at the time about how we both thought the mountain was a giant who was going to ask us questions before we could pass. Mm. And yeah, that was, that was about, yeah, that was my one and only macro dosing experiment. I got a friction burn from laying on the floor and laughing too much for an hour. <laughs> I got a friction burn across my forehead. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Try, try explaining that the day after in the pub. No, what happened to you? Oh, I was laughing. Yeah, I bet you were. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's no good answer to that. No. <laughs> no. Pass. Yeah. I vote to pass. <laughs> yeah. Father Ted's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> well, that's true for so many reasons. Funny enough. <laughs> A listener wrote in to say that they, they, whenever they think of my name, they think uh, kick in the arse because apparently there's a Father Brennan on Father Ted. Oh yeah, kicking, kicking, kicking Bishop Brennan up the arse. That's it, yeah. So. <laughs> what a wonderful episode. Man. They're all great episodes, to be fair. Uh, but uh, going back to your question, no, I, I don't think there is because this is all pretty loosey-goosey over here. Mm. Um, it, it's kind of, <laughs> I probably shouldn't even be admitting to this on a recorded medium, but it's pretty gray market. It's not yeah. actually legal yet. You know, yeah. I, I, when I was in the cannabis industry years ago, it was kind of in the same place. It was very gray market. And yeah. of course then it, you know, it was, it was legalized. Mm-hmm. And I know there are some of the same actors who are trying to make the same happen with, um, with hallucinogens, but for, for therapeutic reasons. Anyways, no, I don't think there is a set time. I, I know I started feeling a difference right away, but again, I don't know how much of that is placebo effect and how much of that is it, is it actually helping? And, you know, I know I've been told you have to kind of cycle on, cycle off, but again, I'm kind of, I'm kind of feeling it out as I go, but it's anything is better than some of the lows I can hit. Hmm. So I, I, I will, I will give it a shot. That, that said, you know, there, there's also a place here now selling coca leaves to chew on and I'm not willing to give it that much of a shot. So, you know, there are limits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think by the time this show comes out, it will be legal in controlled settings in Oregon. Oh, really? Yeah. They passed legislation last year for uh, microdosing to be used for, for medical consumption. And I think oh. that comes into law this month, I think. Well, go Oregon. Speaking of US states, uh, another piece of housekeeping we have is we were contacted by Rebecca, who works with the Copper Country Humane Society there in Michigan. And starting on March 8th, they're going to be having what they call their Poorly Drawn Pets fundraiser. And for $20, uh, or pardon me, you have to donate minimum $20, but you submit a photo of one of your pets and they will draw it. And the joke here is that there are something like six people working on these, but only two of them are actual artists. So you will either get a lovingly detailed photo, or pardon me, a lovingly detailed illustration of your pet from a true artist, or you will get a furry stick figure from someone <laughs> who is a very enthusiastic amateur. Me. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, exactly. That's at best, that's what I could provide. <laughs> but yeah, so again, we're, we're going to be getting a couple done of our pets and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great cause. Check them out at cchumanesociety.com and, or follow the link in the show notes and you can see all the details there, but that starts up on, on March 8th. And again, that's the, the poorly drawn pet fundraiser for the Copper Country Humane Society. And uh, before we get to the stories, you were contacted by one of our listeners after the last episode, and you had a bit of a, a, bit of a question for everyone. Yeah. So obviously we were talking about um, the incident with the mysterious path um, where we were advising that person to just get the hell out of there very quickly. 
Um, right. Of course, the, the person picking mushrooms. Yeah, ironically enough. Coincidentally, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it, it, it's all interconnected. The, um, there has been a lot of that synchronicity shit going on here, Bestel. It, it, it does unnerve me sometimes. Mm, mm. So, so, yeah. So, I got a message from someone saying that they'd listened to that particular segment. And obviously, I'd mentioned Will-O-The-Wisps and uh, we'd had light, balls of light and things like that. And asked me if I'd heard of something called Witchfire. Um, okay. Which is apparently a tradition that hangs around with Mexican witchcraft or brewers, as they're probably more commonly known. Um, and I don't, to be to be fair, I don't know that much about witchcraft in general. Never mind Mexican witchcraft. Um, so I'm just wondering if anybody else can enlighten us to to any other sort of regional or national variations of what we would consider willow the wisp, like these witch fireballs that apparently seem to be conscious and react to people and they can be different colors and they seem like balls with fire inside them from what I've been told anyway. And so, yeah, if you know anything about, about, uh, Paul's fiery, sorry, not Paul's fiery <laughs> balls, <laughs> about witch fire, uh, send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We are really curious to hear. I know someone sent you a, a link with one source, mm. but, uh, again, any further information would, would be very much welcome. And with all that housekeeping out of the way, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have 2021's very first volume of Listener Stories. Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we're going to be telling 2021's first volume of listener stories. But before we do, we had some feedback from the previous episode we wanted to talk about. Because obviously on the previous episode, we talked about incidents where people had heard a kind of moaning in the sky. And, and, and that sounds a lot more fun than it actually is. I guess <laughs> moaning is probably the wrong word and shows you where my head is at right now. Um, <laughs> whew, deep breath, deep breath. Relax. But, um, the Ford Fairlane joke there. That's how, that's how far away my mind went. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Let's not, let's not resurrect Andrew Dice Clay again. No, let's not ask, ask your, ask your grandparents, kids. Yeah. yeah. Ask, or if been, weirdly, he turns up in the, the most recent remake of A Star is Born. Does he? Yeah. He plays Lady Gaga's dad. Oh, okay. Well, I've, I've heard he was good in that, uh, Woody Allen movie, which I refuse to see because Woody Allen is gross. Yeah. And I, unfortunately I, I am addicted to the adventures of Ford Fairlane. I feel like he probably sends you a Christmas card every year on the basis of that. Well, maybe he can't afford it. Back to the, to these sounds. And these sounds are sort of almost like, like the horns of Jericho, like this apocalyptic sound that comes from the sky. And we, we talked a little bit about it. It wasn't the focus of the show, but, but it came up and we got a lot of feedback on that. And, uh, I know we had some people tell us that they had seen articles, which explained it, putting it down to seismic shifting, but the examples they gave didn't explain all of it. And what I found really interesting was that the people who really had dramatic experiences, they were ingrained into them. And we wanted to share a couple of those here. Uh, the first of which comes from one of our patrons. This is Allie. And Allie says, holy shit, I've heard that noise all my life. It's always eerie and terrifying as fuck. There's been several times when my dad or brother has been with me and they also heard it. I'm not sure if it's reassuring or more terrifying that it's been heard around the world and by so many others. And then uh, we had a longer email from Sharon. And Sharon says, I just finished listening to today's Where the Dead Don't Die episode. 
In the host chat, you brought up your dreams, which led to Paul filling you in on the strange sounds heard in all parts of the world. Yes, yes, yes. And that is possibly the first time I've heard a woman say that to me. <laughs> Just that effect I have on the show, mate. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. It's Andrew Dice Clay again. Sorry, he's had a bad influence on me. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely not true. That he's a bad influence, yes. That he could produce that effect in anyone? No. <laughs> I have heard this. I live on Vancouver Island in the Mill Bay slash Shawnigan Lake area. I think this incident happened about three years ago, and likely in February because that is often when we get the biggest dump of snow. I was sleeping, my husband was away, and I awoke to the sound of what I thought was a snowplow on the road. Initially, it was a low rumbling sound, but then, seemingly, as it passed our driveway, it sounded like the blade was lowered and was scraping the pavement. As I came out of my sleep, it began to sink in that this sound was very loud, and it seemed that this snowplow was just staying in the section of road above my driveway, and not going the length of the cul-de-sac. Then I realized that it had an odd, deep sound that accompanied the scraping, and as exactly as you said on your podcast today, I thought it was the end of the world. Raised in the Bible Belt of the Prairies, I was pretty sure the horn sound might be trumpets, and the scraping sound must be the chariots in the sky. Not a word of a lie. I thought this was it. It was a deep horn-like sound with this metallic scraping, and it went on for at least 15 minutes and seemed to get louder with each passing minute. It spooked me to the core, and I turned on my TV and turned it up loud to drown out the sound, but I could still feel the vibration from it. My son-in-law heard me telling my daughter about this and pointed me in the direction of the, all the YouTube videos which Paul referenced in your show, and they do sound very similar. I'm including this link from a video posted from Terrace BC. It sounds almost exactly like what I heard. It was interesting that someone speculated it could be the Aurora Borealis. I would be interested to hear of any similar occurrences on Vancouver Island. Just have a listen to this. And, I mean, I, I'm with you, Sharon. Uh, that is a, a genuinely terrifying experience. And, and quite frankly, I, I mean, I grew up Catholic. I've talked about this before. I don't believe the things they taught me, hmm. you know, not literally. But, you know, I believe in, in, in spirit and I believe in, I, in my better moments, I believe in the continuance of consciousness after the point of physical death. But there is this part of me that I think is, is deeply worried that all the shitheads who say that God is as cruel and angry as they think he is, that they're right. And I honestly, if I heard that sound, because again, I've only heard it in dreams, I, I, would, I would come undone because I would think that, okay, no, this, this is true. God is exactly as awful as everyone says he is, and holy shit, am I scared. <laughs> I mean, but it does prove that they seem to be a phenomenon that people clearly aren't comfortable talking about because it makes them sound weird. Oh, sure. And, and I'm sure, I mean, just sort of, this is me projecting again a little bit, but the fear that thinking about it must entail, mm. because you're talking, about, you're talking about the sky. You're talking yeah. about something much bigger than yourself. And that, that is... Again, coming from someone who, who, who thinks about these things on the regular because, you know, my brain is a nightmare. That's chilling. Hmm. So on, on that cheery note. <laughs> McLean, yeah. <laughs> it's time for the stories. Our first story tonight comes from Katie. Katie says, This story came about at the end of a fun-filled trip to Las Vegas, Nevada, where we visited Zach Baggins Haunted Museum. 
The museum itself is fascinating, and there are artifacts in every corner of every room. Upon entering, the first thing I noticed was a smell, like incense burning in excess. I assumed this was to create an atmosphere, though the weight of the incense made it somewhat difficult to breathe. I, I've been there, uh, Katie, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's a bit much. First, we were shown the doorway to the basement of the museum, where the Dybbuk box was famously opened. We weren't allowed to go down the stairs to the door or venture inside, which was honestly ideal. Never before had I seen a darkness so solid. The door was fully open, and the darkness of the basement beyond was so dense it looked like someone had hung a thick black blanket in front of the door. I, we're going to talk about this. I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what he had done, but again, we'll talk about it. We moved on to another area of the museum where the severed head of a man was on display in a glass case. We were told to go through the room one at a time in order to respect the spirit of the man who was to be viewed. After going through the room, we were to wait at the other end of the hallway outside. I was probably the third person through the room, and after exiting, moved against the hallway wall to wait for the rest of the group. While I stood there, I started to feel like the floor was rippling, and that the walls were shaking, very much like an earthquake. Growing concerned, I looked around for the tour guide and asked if she felt the same sensations. She said she did not. My friend beside me mentioned feeling something similar, but that it wasn't too intense. As more of our group began gathering in the hallway, I watched to see if anyone else was alarmed or mentioned the swaying feeling. I felt a bit lightheaded and could still feel the floor moving under my feet. As soon as we moved away from the dead end of the hallway, the swaying sensations and vibrations stopped. The air felt much lighter, and I started to feel much better. Toward the end of our tour, we were told that we would be entering a viewing room to see this basement stairs taken from the demon house. The museum now housed the stairs of the basement as well as dirt from the foundation of the home and artifacts found buried in the dirt. For this experience, we were given the option to leave the room if we didn't want to expose ourselves to what might be attached to the stairs. Being a firm believer in leaving well enough alone, I and another woman from our group decided to step outside while the rest of the group viewed the stairs. As we waited outside with our tour guide, I looked around the large, open dining room where we were waiting. On the far side of the room was a large, mirrored wall that swung open on the other side. This was used at one point during the tour to frighten guests in a fun, jump-scare way. Looking at the mirrored wall, I noticed behind me what appeared to be a large, solid human-shaped shadow. I say human-shaped because it had just the suggestion of two legs, two arms, and a mound of a head on top of its torso that looked oddly misty around the edges, though it could not see through it. There were two bright dots for eyes looking out of its mound of a head. Very slowly, the shadow began to raise its arms outward from its sides. I turned around quickly to see what was there, but found nothing. Looking back at the mirrored wall, I now saw that the shadow was gone. The moment my feet crossed the doorway from the museum to the gift shop, I felt the air lighten immensely, and it was much easier to breathe. The weight I had not realized I felt on my shoulders lifted, and my muscles relaxed considerably. I can't say for sure if it was just the intense smell of incense creating the sensation in the museum, but the change was very noticeable immediately after crossing the threshold. Even writing about these experiences to you now, almost a year later, still makes my skin crawl. So Katie, thank you so much for writing in with that. Now. I am never going to discount someone's experiences. Mm. However, I have been to Zach Baggins Haunted Museum, and I enjoyed the time I spent there. I went with uh, Shannon LeGroat from Into the Fray Radio back in 2018. Mm. I think it was 2018. And we had a great time. You know, we got there. There was no lineup. And I know in another part of the message, Katie said she had to wait quite a while to get in. Yeah. But the problem I have with that place is it is set up in such a way that I can't trust what happens there yeah. because it is, it is intended to produce an experience. You know, the fact that they even have a jump scare mirror 
hmm. tells me that they, it is possible there is other skullduggery happening with that mirror. I had an experience there, which I talked about, I think on the Haunting of Las Vegas episode, somewhere in the 50s. Hmm. And if you remember, you know, I, there's a room with a haunted doll or allegedly haunted doll. And it's got one of those spirit boxes in there. And as we were leaving, the spirit box very distinctly said my name. Now, I was very unnerved by this. Like, I, I, I believed it at the time, you know, because it just seemed so unlikely. But as someone pointed out, they do check your ID before you go in. And so it is not impossible that they feed every tour someone's name into this thing. Mm. They've got everyone's names from the ID. So yeah. over time, I've had to kind of step away from that experience and say, well, it's very possible it was a genuine experience, but because they are selling a haunted experience there, I can't really trust my own sense of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, I definitely had a kind of paranormal uh-uh feeling about the haunted doll room and about that the room with the demon house stairs in it. Hmm. And I know nothing about demon house. I haven't seen the documentary. I'm not familiar with the story. I just know that I looked in the room and I thought, I don't want to be in there. Yeah, I'm not allowed to say anything bad about Zach Baggins because my daughter will kill me. Oh, oh, there we go. That makes that easy. With that, we'll say thank you. Thank you again, Katie. And we're going to be telling another one of your stories here in a moment. So, uh, so again, thank you very much. Another one from Katie. My first story takes place in a cemetery located in Burlington, Vermont. It was October and my fiancé and I decided to sign up for one of the historical society's ghost tours. It was an extremely cold and windy night, made all the colder as the cemetery looks out over the lake. Our tour guide arrived carrying a lantern and dressed in a long black hooded robe. Right away we knew we were in for a great evening. As we walked along the cemetery path, my fiancé and I fell back a bit from the group. He mentioned that he wanted to take a few of his own photos to see if anything appeared in them around some of the more active grave sites that the guide had noted. So we kept a short distance from the group, snapping photos of the gravestones along the path. As we started to drift a little too far from the group, I turned to my right to encourage him along so he did not get separated in the dark. As I did so, a small bright blue light popped into view besides one of the larger stones off the path. The light then bobbed a short distance in front of the stone and popped back out of sight, as if someone had turned off a flashlight. He turned to me, mouth open, and asked excitedly, Did you just see that? I nodded a bit stunned at the experience. Initially, I began to try and debunk the experience with reasonable causes. However, looking at the spot where the light had popped into existence, I realised it had appeared in front of the stone itself, so it could not be caused by a light behind the stone, or a flashlight off in the distance. The light also gave off no ambient glow, and did not light up the headstone that it was in front of at all, even though it was the most brilliant blue light I've ever seen. Then, it popped back off in front of the same stone, after bobbing a short distance across it. Our distance from the group at that point meant the pollution from somebody's phone or the lantern of our guide were not possible, and the moon was hidden by a thick cloud cover that had blown in with the wind. So, thank you again, Katie, for sharing that. And uh, that, is, that is really cool. I'm, I'm really fascinated by stories of lights which give off no glow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and actually the story we have coming up next relates to, to a particular story like that. 
And um, again, or, when orbs are not accompanied, or sorry, when orbs are observed in in actuality and not on photographs, I, I think that is really compelling stuff. Because yeah. I mean, we talked again, you know, at the, at the top of the show about witchfire and will of the wisps and these things which seem to kind of lead us and you know turn up in in the corners of the world and at the edges of our vision. And uh, again, I, I don't have an explanation, but I'm I'm just just fascinated by them. Sorry, I'd muted myself by accident. <laughs> we got to take that button away from you. Yeah, I've gone, I've gone power crazy. That's yeah. right. I can now mute myself. Well, <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah, I mean, I find these very interesting because, like you say, it's an eyewitness account, and it's one of those peculiar lights that just doesn't seem to be easily explainable because it doesn't act like a piece of light. Oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't flit around or, or seem to be, you know, uh, like, cause again, if you think it's a reflection or something, it's going to move as the person who is ultimately causing the lights to move, moves. Mm. So that, that is, that's really interesting, Katie. Again, thank you very much. This story comes from Jolene. On episode 81, you mentioned a man from Radium seeing a low light in the trees going down the valley. For our listeners who don't know, Radium is a small community in British Columbia, Canada. I am from Golden, which is about an hour north of Radium on Highway 95, and grew up 15 minutes south of town on a farm in the mountains. Growing up there, I dreamed constantly about UFOs. My older brother was obsessed with drawing aliens, and I have vivid memories of watching UFOs come down and land on our front lawn, although I never remember anything after the landing. One time in particular, my dad had made me a homemade tetherball post, which was essentially just a pole in the center of a tire. It was hard to knock over, and there was no way the wind could do it. But one night I dreamed a UFO came down and landed in the yard, knocking over the post. Sure enough, when I woke up in the morning, the post was laying on the ground. My parents will tell you straight up that they used to sit on the front lawn at night and watch lights shoot up from behind the mountain across the valley, fly side to side, and shoot back down behind the mountain. Sometimes they would shoot away to the sky and disappear in the blink of an eye. My brother played hockey with a boy whose mom was my mom's best friend, so we would always travel to hockey trips together all over the valley. One night, we were coming back from a hockey game in Invermere, which is 15 minutes south of Radium, so we drove through Radium to get back home. My mom's friend was driving her van with my mom in the front seat. Myself, my brother, the other boy, and his brother were all asleep in the back. The trip takes an average of an hour and an hour and a half to an hour 45. This was back before cell phones, so before leaving, we had called home to say we were on our way, and then headed out in the dark. Now there's a spot between Radium and home where there are three rolling hills to drive over. Like I said, us kids were asleep, but my mom and her friend, who aren't that close anymore, will tell the exact same story. We went over one hill, and as we crested it and started heading down, a very bright light flew straight at us from the bottom of the hill and straight over the top of the van. My mom and her friend didn't know what the hell had just happened, but they had four sleeping kids and were in the middle of nowhere and were hell-bent on getting home. Our vehicle never stopped or slowed down for a second. But when we got home, we were met with panic and questions of where we had been because the trip had taken us almost four hours from the time of the phone call to arriving home. They had no explanation for the other two and a half hours other than the light they saw. To this day, we wonder what happened. And so, Paul, presumably, before I talk about the specifics and how this relates to, um, really to my book, uh, A Strange Little Place, by the audiobook, mm -hmm. obviously you've had some experience researching missing time and things like this, yes? Yes. 
And so can you explain to, for our listeners, I mean, what missing time is and maybe just give me other examples of people who have experienced it? Missing time is usually uh, a phenomenon, phenomenon, phenomena. <laughs> I love those cookies. <laughs> I'll have a couple of phenomenons, please. Yeah. That um, seems to affect two particular aspects of the weird, which are UFO encounters. Right. And being fairy led. Yes. So I did an interview recently with a author, uh, June Gosler Anderson, in regards to hauntings in Ireland. And one of the things we talked about was somebody who went into a old medieval borough and basically lost nine hours. They went in at one o'clock and came out at 10 o'clock at nine and didn't understand what the hell had gone on. Jesus Christ. Um, which is one of the longest ones. But I think in the modern era, more people associate missing time with UFO encounters. Betty and Barney Hill's a prime example of that. Right. Um, obviously, Travis Walton lost five days and didn't realize how long he'd been gone until he, he realized he, you know, he'd got a, a thick growth of stubble on his chin. I didn't uh, realize Travis Walton had been gone five days. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they ended up essentially accusing his co-workers of murder, didn't they? Jesus. I, I, for our listeners, Travis Walton's story was told in the film Fire in the Sky, but the, the film bears very little resemblance to his actual story. Mm. But uh, he, was, he was, as Paul says, he, he was missing for five days. Yeah. I, I didn't realize about the co-worker thing, though. That, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. That's why they all had to take um, polygraph tests. Wow. Um, so the, the, there's that one. Uh, we have a very famous case here in the UK, which featured a policeman called Alan Godfrey. He lost about 50 minutes. The way this relates to Revelstoke and my book is that while researching Strange Little Place, I, and as Jolene mentioned, I do talk about this in episode 81, so you, you may be hearing this again, but I interviewed a young fellow who had been driving down the highway near Radium, and he had seen in the sky, flying below the tree line, so it, it, this was not uh, a celestial thing, this was not like, oh, he just saw the moon, uh, he saw an orb of light flying above the trees, but it did not give off any light. It, there was no, it cast no shadows. It was, however, very bright, but it, it cast no shadows. And it, he said that in terms of size, the light appeared to be roughly the same size as the moon. Relatively speaking, you know, so you know, the moon looked like, say, a quarter in the sky. This thing looked like a quarter, but above the trees. You know? So it was, it was a substantial size. And he observed this, this light almost following his vehicle or pacing his vehicle down the valley. And he said that he pulled over to look at it. And as he did, he was kind of, uh, he was suffused with this, this positive feeling. You know, he said he felt very, I, I guess, blessed to be able to see this thing in action, even though he didn't really know what it is. And there is another story I came across, and I was never actually able to find the people involved, but just east of Revelstoke, there is a similar story to what Jolene described where a fellow who made the run quite frequently, as I understand it, from Golden going east, or sorry, going west, he was passing through the area. He would always leave in the evening, and he would arrive in Revelstoke, again, early, you know, early hours of the morning, stay over, and then continue west. I believe he may have been a commercial trucker. Well, on this particular occasion, he left Golden at the same time, but at some point when he came around a corner, and I believe it was also near Hills, which is kind of interesting, he expected the road to go up, ascending to what they call the snowsheds, but instead it went down. And he, uh, he suffered a moment of a very extreme disorientation. And then the next road sign he saw 
said Revelstoke was only about 15 kilometers away. He had covered a huge amount of ground and he had no memory of it. And when he looked at the clock, he realized he was about, I want to say an hour and a half to two hours behind schedule. Hmm. But he had no recollection of stopping or, or really the road at all. And, and I mean, that is a, that can be a dangerous road if you're not careful. It's, it's better now. They, they've, they've sort of improved the road quite a bit, but there's actually a corner there called School Bus Corner because of a, a, a brutal school bus crash that occurred. Mm. So it, it's a dangerous road. And, and there are, you know, at one point there's a, a speed, a section where you have to slow down because there's a service station. He had no memory of any of this. And he pushed it out of his head, stayed overnight in Revelstoke and continued on his way. But he began to be plagued by nightmares. Mm. And in those nightmares, and this is what's really interesting and what sort of ties this to Jolene's story, in those nightmares, he remembers the last thing he saw before going around the bend. And the last thing he saw were the taillights of a truck ahead of him going around the bend before he did. But in the dream, those lights come back around the corner and they fly up over his vehicle, just the same way they did in Jolene's story. And in the dream, he is paralyzed in this red light. And he says he feels a pressure in his chest and he is terrified. And then that's all he'll recall. But he's had this nightmare a number of times. And this, this experience actually spelled the end of his ability to drive that road by himself. He takes uh, what they call the Crow's Nest, uh, I think the Crow's Nest Highway now. And that is, it's, it's a really, really lengthy detour. Mm. But he tried to drive that road again once more by himself. And he, he had panic attacks whenever he lost sight of other cars. Blimey. So I, I don't know, uh, again, uh, Jolene, thank you so much for sharing that. I don't have anything to offer in terms of explanation, but I do know that Radium, Radium BC is, is a UFO hotspot and uh, certainly missing time has been reported in and around that area. And, and I'll tell you, man, that is one of the things I, I'm genuinely afraid of is missing time. And I, I don't know where it comes from. I mean, obviously it's, it's a frightening thing, but I, I, there is, it, it produces this really visceral fear in me. And I don't know if it's you know, uh, just because I saw Flight of the Navigator when I was a kid and, and that kind of <laughs> fucked me up or, or what, but I, I actually have location services turned on on my phone for that reason alone on the off chance I ever go missing because for some reason that just feels like a possibility. And, and again, that may just be my, my neurosis, but I think anything you feel that strongly, you should probably listen to at least a little bit. Mm. So the, the show's yours if I do disappear, Paul. Treat okay. it well. <laughs> Don't fuck yeah. it up. Yeah. I mean, it is a strange concept, Missing Time, because it, it's something that's been with us for a very, very long time because you have, um, you know, stories going back centuries. Rip Van Winkle is a prime example of that. Oh, shit, of course, yeah. You know, guy that goes, has a sit down and then comes down years later, you know, with a big beard and all his friends and died. Um Rumpel, yeah, you know, even the fairy story. Rumpelstiltskin is a, essentially a missing time story, isn't it? That's very true. Yeah, and I recalled from a mysterious universe. They they actually had a story from Chinese legend, mm. which was the same thing. This guy, I want to say, he ends up following someone he doesn't know, ends up being invited to this kind of dinner court, and by the time he gets back out and goes home, he doesn't recognize anything, and he finds out one hundred years have passed. Yeah. And everyone he knows is gone. And again, the, the notion haunts me. You know, for me, Futurama is a horror film. Uh, but uh... <laughs> Yeah, don't watch Demolition Man then. This story is from Sophia. My first story takes place in my home state of Ohio. In my senior year of college, I moved in with my best friend. 
I'll call her A, who was attending the same art school. Her parents were moving out of state, so they arranged for us to rent their house at a discount. It was a big old Victorian that had once belonged to a great or great-great-grandfather and had seen many different uses, so it had a lot of architectural quirks, including a door on the second floor that went nowhere except 12 feet straight down to concrete. I was in love. The day I moved in, A offhandedly mentioned that there was a ghost in the house, but not to worry about it. He's harmless, and you might sometimes see a cat that isn't ours. We think it belonged to my great-grandfather. We lived in this house with three pets of our own. Well, sort of. Her parents left their cocker spaniel and their small, fluffy calico with us, because they were both old and they wanted to settle into the new place before traumatising their pets. Right before Christmas, I also adopted a cat of my own. Jolie was a tiny, long-haired cat who hated everyone. But the day I moved in, she climbed up into my lap and started purring. From then on, I was her temporary human. She was maybe five pounds, including all that fuff, and mostly white, with a few calico patches. My cat Hermes was six months old when I adopted him, and slightly bigger. He was very much a kitten, however, and would not cuddle or climb into our laps. The only way attention was acceptable was to slowly lay down, stretch out as far as possible, and gently rub his cheek with the barest tip of a finger. So when I felt someone jump onto my bed one Saturday morning, I assumed it was Jolie. It was about 8am, and I'd buried down deep into my blankets. I felt the cat curl up on my chest, and so I pulled down the covers enough to free one hand and smile at Jolie, but Jolie wasn't on my bed. The cat was black and white, but long-haired. I stared at it for a moment, startled, and then the cat vanished. Sometime later, I was passing through one of the little side rooms to the bathroom to get ready for bed. It was probably around midnight, so I turned on a light to keep from stepping on or tripping over the various craft supplies scattered over the floor. Laying on a pile of blue fabric, I'd planned to make bedroom curtains out of was the same black and white, long-haired cat. He had four white paws and a white belly, bib and nose. The cat chirped at me, a similar musical sound to what Hermes uses when he wants attention, then once again vanished. We lived there for a year, and I never saw the ghost of the doctor who once owned the home, though there was one experience when I was trying to fall back asleep and heard footsteps by my bed. They paced back and forth three or four times. I was convinced it was A, and equally convinced something bad has happened, as she never got up before 11am on a weekend. I heard a sigh and felt weight on my mattress right at my side. I pushed back the covers to ask what was wrong, but no one was there. The room was empty, not even a cat in sight. Just to be sure, I asked her later if she'd been in my room, and she looked at me like I was crazy. We frequently had experiences of walking into each other's dreams. For example, one night I had a dream about doing my homework for school and going into the next room for supplies. Inside I found A and her mum packing up several totes of craft supplies, mostly holiday-related. A handed me the tube of paint I needed, and I went back to finishing my painting. The next morning, 
A told me about a dream she'd had, about prepping for a craft fair with her mum, and that I'd been there for some inexplicable reason. So thank you for sharing those with us, Sophia. And she also included a couple other stories that we are going to share on uh, future episodes, future listener story episodes. But I, I got to say, as someone who already has two cats, I cannot imagine having another cat. <laughs> because it, once cats outnumber humans, you you are officially in trouble. I, I really think that. If you have more cats than you have people, the uprising is soon to come. Yeah, I'm in trouble then. How many cats do you have, Paul? Uh, we have three now. Ah, the revolution begins. Yes. Yeah, we uh, we obviously, I was, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on the show, but we started fostering abandoned cats last year. So we've had uh, seven sort of come through the house oh. sort of, till they sort of relax and get used to people again. Um, right. My daughter's ended up adopting one and then the rest of them have gone on. And then we got one at Christmas. So she was given the nickname Tinsel and she's a beautiful little tabby cat. And she was completely feral. Um, and for the first week, all she did was try and rip our eyes out and hiss at us. And then Boxing Day, she just came out and started allowing us to be in her presence, as it were. <laughs> you may look upon me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now she basically follows me around like, a, like she couldn't live without me. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. So uh, in, in sort of, what, about two months, she's gone from spitting at anything that moved to uh, she spent last night slept on my leg oh the power of bestel compels you <laughs> so yeah that's uh, one of my good deeds for 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 the uh, pandemic is uh, you know saving cats the dream stuff too sophie is, is, is sophie is really really interesting um mm. it, it, because it uh, again the notion that we can share dreams is something i i've really tried to explore you know and i know there's people i know who can lucid dream uh i i cannot or not intentionally i know someone who can at will lucid dream and and i just absolutely can't i i am very much uh i'm very much sort of subject to the whims of my stupid subconscious which usually doesn't go real well for me <laughs> me and you both and i'm still getting used to dreaming oh of course yeah because for a long time you you didn't dream no no 20 30 years Wow. And sorry, remind me, why was that? I don't know. I don't know. I stopped smoking in June, you know, quit smoking, save cats. It's a fair balance. And um, <laughs> that's what you do during a pandemic, I think. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's certainly what I did. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? I recommend it heartily. And, not a lot um, of panic and self-pity. That wasn't me. No, that's you, Paul. <laughs> so I'd never really dreamt a lot. You know, I, I, me and you had a conversation about this where I could probably count the amount of dreams I can remember in the last 30 years on one hand. Yeah. And then within about a month, I'd had some absolutely mental dreams. Periodically, I'll wake up and I'll write things down. And, and I think it's always a great idea because I do think it's possible for our dreams to kind of have uh, echoes of things that are going to happen. Mm. You know, I, I don't think necessarily that they 100% presage events because I, I think that whether it's because of like the nonlinear nature of time or some kind of latent psychic ability, I think however it works, it's not perfect. You know, it's not like picking up um, a Netflix stream. You know, I, I think it's more like picking up the porno channel with an <laughs> antenna when you don't have the porno channel. I mean, this is my friend told me at least. So there's lots of like, you know, lots of uh, static and you're trying to interpret a boob every now and again. <laughs> yes. 
but yeah, and so I, I think it's an imperfect mecha- mechanism, and that's why I think it's really important to write that stuff down because I think, yeah, there are there are bits which we can recognize, you know, sort of going forward, and then again, I think there's other bits that are just, uh, you know, our subconscious working through things or or tormenting us. Yeah, dreams are very strange. I mean, it's like deja vu. Have you ever ever had experienced deja vu? Oh Jesus, I've had yeah so many experiences of deja vu. In fact, probably the most dramatic one for me is uh, I was in a cafe in Vancouver and these people next to me were talking about um, a trip to, they'd taken to Italy. Mm. And I was, ta- I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, man, I've got the most, I was texting this person and I said, man, I've got the most intense feeling of deja vu. And they said, yeah, me too. They said, I feel like you're going to, next you're going to tell me something about Italy. Whoa. Yeah, right? That's weird. And, and again, you could say, well, it's just random chance, but I mean, those are pretty astronomical odds. Well, I'll, I'll give you a, a, something that is equally random that is, is strangely connected to Italy, which was I once won a holiday to Italy and we went to Venice on the first day we were there because we had a free day and the rest of it was golfing because incredibly <laughs> I enjoy playing golf. I know that might be hard to believe, but it's true. Anyway. And hanging up. <laughs> so we went to Venice and we wandered all the back streets and you know had a what, pop into these beautiful old churches that were hidden away in the catacombs and drunk it all in. It was fabulous. It was a warm May's evening. It was gorgeous. And we got to the square at the bottom and uh, we thought, oh, well, we've, you know, we've had a wander around. Let's sit down for half an hour and just take it all in. We could see all the gondolas and everything and the boats coming in and out of, of the area. Let's sit here, get a drink, chill out. So we sat down next to this old couple, very pleasant, started talking. And this woman said, oh, excuse me, love, are you from Sheffield? And I said, yes. And she was from the next village I was. And they'd literally just got off the boat 20 minutes before we turned up in the square. No. Yeah. And she That's crazy. In, she lived in a little village called Eckington. Uh, and they, they, she just said that they were on a cruise. Their, their cruise had actually been delayed a day, so they weren't supposed to be there. I'll be damned. Thank you again, Sophia. This story comes from Lauren. I have a few stories, but I'll just share the most recent one, which isn't extremely ghostly, but is very strange and has baffled me to this day. This happened sometime last winter. Since midnight, I had been staring up at the rosy glow cast on the ceiling by my salt lamp. Some nights, the silence in my room feels louder than usual, and tonight it was keeping me awake. Around 2am, I resigned to the fact that I would not be falling asleep for a while and decided to use this time creatively. Inspired by the ferns I keep next to my bed, I pulled out my dad's old film camera, which he'd given to me a few days before. The detachable flash was a little finicky and took some troubleshooting, but I got it attached and was snapping away within 20 minutes. This reminds me of the time I did the unboxing video for the Friday the 13th box set at like 2 in the morning so I was wired on coffee. <laughs> Got the flash attached. After each flash, the bulb recharged with a muted high-pitched whine. At some point, I decided I'd used enough expensive film on the plants and rigged up a stand out of books so I could take some self-portraits. Sometime around 3, I recognized an uncomfortable feeling in my gut, but attributed it to the series of bright flashes and repetitive whine of the charging bulb, breaking up the darkness and the quiet. And I mean, just obviously I'm going to keep telling the story, but I just think that's such a perfect example of how we rationalize these feelings. Mm. I was finally growing a little tired when something bizarre happened. My room is a large space in the developed basement of the two-story house my family has lived in for almost two decades. I'll admit that the darkness of the basement and the isolation from the rest of my family, who sleep on the top floor, unsettles me sometimes. 
However, in the nearly six years I've slept down here, nothing had occurred to warrant any dread. Until this night. A noise I've never heard in my life suddenly broke the silence. Out of nowhere, this strange, rapid clicking started up, and it sounded like it was coming from right on the other side of my door, really low to the ground. It's hard to describe the sound exactly. It seemed organic, like the noise it makes when you click your tongue down from the roof of your mouth, or the noise people make from their throat by very slowly pushing air past their vocal cords. But it was unnaturally fast, faster than a sound made by any person. And though it was a constant clicking, the volume wavered, getting slightly louder, then slightly softer, over and over again. At first I was baffled. I sat there for a few moments trying to rationalize, racking my brain for an explanation. Could it be the TV? No, I turned it off. Could it be the CD player and the PS4? No, that too was shut off. Maybe the furnace was malfunctioning. Unlikely, as it had never made that sound in over a decade of operation. After running out of options, I completely froze with fear. The noise hadn't stopped, and it was definitely coming from right outside my door. The fact that it was after 3am did not help the situation. Nope, 3am never helps any situation. I'm not sure how long I sat there, afraid to move or breathe, but it was at least several minutes. At this point, my curiosity was breaking through the fear, and I was debating whether or not I should check it out. You are braver than I am, Lauren. But before I could do any such thing, thank God, the noise stopped. If I thought the silence in my sleeping house was oddly loud before, it was now deafening. Now, I'm not at all the person who asks others for help or assurance, ever, especially not over something this weird. But I was so confused and so paranoid that it would start up again, I texted my then-girlfriend, who was practically nocturnal. Naturally, she was still up, and I asked her to stay on the phone with me, but not say a word. We sat there in silence for over an hour while I calmed myself with games on my phone until I was ready to try and sleep. Needless to say, after we hung up, I didn't catch a wink until the sun started lightening the sky outside my window. Side note. Oddly enough, my camera flash hasn't worked since then. I brought it over to my friend's place a while ago for an artsy photo shoot, and though it was fully charged, it absolutely refused to work. Maybe its age finally caught up with it and the bulb died, or a wire shook loose, but it is a funny coincidence that the last time it functioned was the night I heard the clicking. So, thank you, Lauren. And, I mean, I, honestly, I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. I kind of wanted to pick your brain on this one, Paul, because if I remember correctly, I haven't read this book in a number of years, but in Ron Moorhead's Voices in the Wilderness... One of the pieces of high strangeness that accompanies his Bigfoot encounters is a clicking that follows the various members of that expedition. I say expedition, guys who went hunting. But it follows them all to their various homes. And have you heard many uh, stories of clicking like this otherwise? I have. Um, There's been some well-known hauntings where a repeated clicking sound um, like a, a series of like that has been heard by a lot of paranormal investigators, usually in poltergeist cases, and it usually occurs before something extraordinary happens. Oh, interesting. So, so say, do, define extraordinary. What's an example of something extraordinary that would then happen? Uh, vocalizations, loud bangs, ports. Uh, pools of waters appearing. It usually is a precursor to it. Essentially, it means that the environment is warming up. Oh, interesting. I don't like that at all. Yeah, yeah. There was a famous case to do with a haunted Lancaster bomber 
I think on a British airbase in the nineties, um, I think, I think there'd been spirits of airmen seen in and around this aircraft. And occasionally people would hear the noise of, of war essentially. Um, oh. and, and um, I think somebody went to do an investigation there and actually caught this clicking just as uh, they started to hear sort of size and the temperature in the room dropped. And these clicks were recorded prior to that. And then all of a sudden stuff started kicking off. No shit. Yeah. So I wonder in this situation, if that's what it was, what sort of short circuited the event? Mm. Maybe it was the camera. Maybe. Yeah. And that's why it didn't work. It sounds like she had stopped using the camo. I guess it kept clicking for a little while. And then she stopped, she stopped shooting. But uh, I wonder, I wonder if her willingness to try and see it would have any bearing on that, you know, because you, you're sort of, uh, again, Lauren, so much braver than I have ever, ever <laughs> any hope to be. I mean, I, there is not a hope in hell I'd be trying to open that door. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if something like that can dispel it, you know, because this, this stuff does seem to have this, this issue of not wanting to be seen. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like I say, it, it may be some kind of auditory warning or or attention grabbing, saying, right, get ready. From my experience, it doesn't usually... Um, it, it's, it's not fun what comes next, regardless of the, the phenomenon <laughs> that follows it. This is not an auger of good times. No, no. It's, t- it's time to turn the light on and get out of there. Oh, yeah. Or in Lauren's case, call someone who is up, and that is, yeah. The absolute best thing you can do. Yes. <laughs> so here's to having a, a late night pal. That helps. Yeah. I've always got my mum to call. Oh, that's a bonus. Yeah. She's always up till 3 a.m. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I don't know where I get it from. <laughs> no, total mystery. <laughs> Thanks again, Lauren. Our next story is from Claire. My story is from years ago in the 1980s when I worked at a nursing home in the middle of the countryside. The nursing home was pretty standard, a large converted farmhouse with additional wings built around a courtyard. I suppose the original main building would have been built around the 1700s. In those days, I was a nursing auxiliary or an NA and myself and other NAs served under a strict hierarchy of sisters and matrons. Every nursing home has its ghost stories. I love to hear them, and even work some night shifts to see if I could find something supernatural happening, but up to this story, I can't remember anything particularly happening in the years that I'd worked there. That was until a gentleman, who had lived there for years, passed away. He passed from illness in old age, and it was peaceful, I was told. So life and work continued as usual for a time, and the gentleman's room was emptied and cleaned as per normal routine. About a week later, another gentleman moved into the now vacant room for a four-week stay to convalesce from an injury that he had sustained. The new gentleman was very fit and well, apart from his broken and now mending bones, and the staff were reminded to address him by his military title. For anonymity, <laughs> for, anim- for, for anonymity. anonymity. Yeah, okay, now. <laughs> Fucking English language. <laughs> for anonymity. <laughs> <laughs> for anonymity. 
We will stay here all night and get this right. <laughs> For anonymity, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now. For <laughs> for anonymity, oh, for fuck's sake! In, how about how about in the in the interest of privacy? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to admit defeat. <laughs> in the interest of privacy, <laughs> or we'll call him the major. See, privacy rise with anonymity, and I can't say that. Right, and you just said it. You just exactly. I should just, I should just splice that in. In the interest of anonymity. <laughs> For reasons of privacy, I shall use Major. Doesn't get more British than that. I was tasked with bringing the Major's first breakfast to his room. On my best behaviour, I asked him if he had slept well. As I was setting his tray onto the table, the Major frostily told me that he had slept well eventually. He stressed the eventually and left a pause. I said I was sorry he had not slept well, and if there was anything I could do for him. The Major replied that he had dozed off the previous evening, and when he woke, he was surprised to see another gentleman sat in his chair, watching him. He told the man, in no uncertain terms, that this was his room, and he should bugger off back to his own room. The Major had said that the man had not answered him, but just sat there looking at him, so he shouted at him a little more. Still no answer, so the Major had decided to ignore him and go back to sleep. When he woke a little later, he said the man had left, so he then got up, locked his door, and went back to bed. It sprung immediately to my mind that the Major's neighbour was a lovely chap who had advanced dementia, and it wasn't unusual for him to sometimes find the wrong room. I asked the Major if he could describe the gentleman he had seen, to which he irritably said he was perfectly able to describe him as he'd had to look at him for over an hour. You've guessed it. The gentleman he described was unquestionably previous owner of the room and in no way similar to his neighbour. I knew this without doubt, as the deceased man was distinctive by his height and build. The major was even able to describe his large glasses and tweed jacket with the elbow patches. In the interests of clarity, there was no other male resident that would fit this description who was living in the home at the time. To my memory, I don't believe that the original room owner ever came back after that first night, although the staff were excitedly waiting for the next evening shift. Let's hope they weren't doing it anonymously. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> now. I love stories like these, and I'll tell you why. Because there's usually something really odd happens, like somebody waking up in a private residence who sees somebody who shouldn't be there at all, and they usually tell them to bugger off or whatever. <laughs> right. And it, uh, this this story is exactly the same, where the chap does it twice, and because the guy doesn't bugger off, he just goes, well, well I'll go to sleep then. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like... There's so many stories like this, especially in British haunted uh, experiences or stories that people tell you, that someone just seems to just deal with these things so matter-of-factly um, and just carry on as though the fact that a weird man sitting in a chair at, at night doesn't perturb them so much that they don't get any sleep. I mean, I think there's a, that's a very old British response. Like, we, we mustn't make a scene. <laughs> Very yes. well, Spectre. I will go to bed and you will stay here and swallow my soul. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's do the exorcism quietly. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> the power of Christ compels you gently. Don't throw the water too fast. Just do splashing. <laughs> yeah. Just splash it at him. Come on, gently love, back on your way. <laughs> That's right. Off Bugger off. Bugger off into the light. <laughs> this story comes from Bree. From an early age, I always knew I could sense something different. A lot of the time I could feel a sense of deja vu about a place or an event, or I could feel when a presence was in the room, even though no one other than my grandma Pena could. At times when I felt that way, I would look to see if she felt the same thing, only to have her already gazing at me. That gave me some comfort. We lived in the city of San Juan, Texas, in my grandma's two-bedroom home, although it was more of a shack. To say we didn't have much is an understatement, but still, it was home. We were dirt poor, and literally had an outhouse and a shack out back in which we would take our showers with water we warmed on the kitchen stove. Thinking back on it, as I sit in my warm brick home I proudly own now, I wouldn't change a thing. Those days are what made me who I am today. Made me learn to appreciate the little things. It was during one of those showers in which I first heard it. A baby crying, outside. It was a Sunday night and my mom had warmed me some water so I could have a shower before bed. All day long I kept feeling like someone was watching, although there was no one around. Night made it worse. Behind my grandma's house at night was no place for a baby. It was creepy, littered as it was with fruit trees and prickly pear cactus. But the shadows the moon made the trees cast made it even worse. I spoke to my grandma about it, and she told me she could feel something off, but wasn't sure what it could be. She just told me to shower quickly and to get back inside. With my towel and bucket of warm water, I went out into the dark, with a feeling in my gut that I was about to be preyed upon. I had reached the showering shack and begun taking a shower when I heard a faint sound outside. I couldn't tell what it was at first, so I ignored it, which I don't think it liked, because the sound got louder. That's when I realized it sounded like a newborn, only all our neighbors were elderly, so no one would have had a baby, much less outside at ten at night. I was kind of frozen for a second. When I heard the sound again, needless to say, if I'd had to pee, I would have wet myself. Yeah, me too. I wrapped myself in my towel and ran inside the house, hair still full of shampoo, soap suds all over me. My mom was pissed and didn't believe me until we went out into our room to fish me out something to wear, and there it was again. We all heard it this time, through our bedroom window. A baby. Crying. My grandpa and dad went out to investigate to no avail. The sound stopped when they went out. There were some nights we still heard it, something impersonating the sound of a baby crying. We never found anything, and from then on we never went out alone. Not to shower, not to use the outhouse. Someone always waited outside the door. South Texas has an immense history when it comes to the paranormal and the unknown. Kids today still mention stories of La Llorona, or the Weeping Woman, as if she is still a threat to children and adults alike. We have aunts and uncles take us to Curanderos, a shaman or healer, before they would even think of taking us to an actual doctor when we feel ill. So Bree, thank you so much for sharing that. That, that is uh, genuinely chilling. And, and before we talk about the story itself, I just want to say, I know we have a lot of listeners in Texas, and I hope all you guys are doing okay. I know it's a fucking nightmare in a lot of yeah. places there right now, and my heart just goes out to you guys. Uh, again, we, we, uh, I'm, we're both thinking of you and, and we hope that every, well, we're all thinking of you and we hope that everything is, is going as well, as well as it can be hoped and that they can get things back online sooner rather than later. Hmm. But, uh, going back to the story, um, 
surely there must be some kind of legend about things which impersonate a crying baby in order to lure unsuspecting people. Well, of course, it's fairy lore. Oh, God. Okay. Yep. Of course. Your favorites. Yep. Yep. With the sheep. Changelings. Oh, dear. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll have to talk about it now because we've brought it up. But uh, (laughs) what's the worst thing can happen? Don't, don't, mm, 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 edit, edit, edit. No, we're not saying that. We're not going down that road. Didn't you get sick because of this subject? Well, I, I did two, two episodes. I did an episode on the Fae um, with Morgan Daimler, and I followed it up with an episode with a demonologist. And, and then on the Wednesday, I started feeling ill, and I was rushed into hospital on the Saturday with a ye olde disease called Quincy. They call yes. it hot potato. Hot potato? Sounds like you're eating hot potatoes. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> so terrifying. So I had lots of doctors coming to see me going, talk for me, please. I got... <laughs> oh, man. Because apparently they hadn't seen anybody for about 10 years with it. Really? Yeah. Well, as, since, since we both know how that happened, we're going to be very cautious in talking about the subject and just say that, uh, again, it's scary as hell. and. Yes. I'd be curious to know if anyone else on the land has still had issues. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But um, it was very nice. I, I, I was treated very quickly and sl- spent the night on the infectious diseases ward, which is always a, a, a bonus. That's another point for the inevitable Facebook, have you done this quiz? So that's, that's something. <laughs> Thanks again for that story, Bree. I did not plan for this to be your story, yeah. but I'm very happy that it worked out this way. <laughs> Yeah, what a way to go out. Exactly. Go for it. Our final story is from Teresa. When I was in my mid-twenties, I left Vancouver for rural Manitoba to live with my aunt for a year. That summer, I met an old man from the area. His name was Mike. He was a short, strong Ukrainian farmer in his seventies and had crop circles appearing on his land many years prior. The story had actually made the newspaper. When it was known that he and I were becoming friends, everyone told me to stay away from him, but wouldn't tell me why. I was young, fit, and unbothered by this concern, so I didn't listen to them. We used to get in his van and drive around the bumpy country roads with the Rodell's Encyclopedia of Herbs in my lap, identifying plants and learning their medicinal properties. I had him over for tea, to which even he protested he shouldn't come inside. He knew people would talk if they saw him come over, and I had to think, what the fuck did he do in his life? Nonetheless, I went to his house also. He was a lovely, interesting and kind man to me. Despite this, he always said he wanted to see my titties. Yep, his words, titties. So maybe he was a bit of a perv in his younger days. I would laugh and give him a good-hearted scolding. He was an old man after all. Weird, yes, I like that about him, but he was also harmless and kind, and lonely, terribly lonely, and now we were friends. Shortly after Christmas, I moved further east to the Niagara region. The snow had melted, and spring was on its way when I was visiting my mum in Hamilton. I had just stepped out of the shower and saw a vibrating oval shape out of my right eye. The oval had a dark blue, almost black, outer ring fading to a vibrant bright blue. Then, as it came to the centre, a white light. Without thinking, I stood up, naked, 
and faced the oval light saying to it, There you go, Mike. Now you've seen my titties. I laughed at myself as these words just came out of nowhere. I had no idea what I'd just seen. <laughs> you all right, then? I will be. I will be. <laughs> Teresa, this is the greatest. I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> I laughed at myself as these words just came out of nowhere. I had no idea what I'd just seen or why I said what I did, but I was not scared or worried about it. Shortly after, maybe 30 minutes or so, the phone rang. It was my auntie who I'd lived with in Manitoba. She chatted away for much too long about nonsense, then finally said, I have to tell you something. Mike passed away a few weeks ago. Oh, I know, I said to her. He just came here to tell me. And he finally got to see my titties. <laughs> so, I, can't, I can't help it, I'm sorry. I'm a child. So as I see it, he came to say his last goodbye, although I believe his first intention was to have his last sight before he moved on. Strangely enough, I'm glad he did. I hope he now rests easy, and I wish him well in the great beyond. Teresa, that may be the best story we've ever read on this show. I, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. I, I don't even have words. What the, the, the horniest ghost? Well, maybe not the horniest, but mm. you know, a horny ghost is that's that's wonderful. And I, I again, like when I first started reading it, you know, I, I'm a very uh, I'm a very protective person. So when I first started reading it and him saying that stuff, I started bristling a little bit, you know, but she, she obviously didn't have any problem with it. So, you know, uh, I was, I thought, okay, well, let's just see where it goes. And it went to, to a ghost seeing some boobs. And I don't know if there is any purer thing we could bring it to 2021 than this particular story of a horny ghost. <laughs> well, to be fair, I'm not aware of many incidents involving people flashing ghosts no, not intentionally at least i mean I, i'm mm. sure my you know my, my family has looked down on me or up at me in some cases and thought okay put put some pants on would you <laughs> just just why other people have to sit on that couch thank you so much Teresa. It, we actually had a creepy old mike in revelstoke his name we call him stinky mike <laughs> oh man he looked like a he looked like a pile of trash in a sweater and <laughs> He stunk so bad. Mm. He was independently wealthy. I mean, because he had worked for CP Rail, which used to be a really, really big money career, especially if he stuck at it. And he didn't have any kids or family. And he never did anything other than work. So the money just piled up. But his house was a, was a hoarder's nightmare, apparently. Mm. And we used to have this other customer who would come in. His, his name was Martin. Martin Berge. The sweetest old guy. He used to come in for coffee a couple times a day on his walks around town and, and just, just a wonderful old fella. And he would sometimes sit down with Mike and Martin was very Italian. So, Hey Mike, what are you going to do with all your money? You'll give me some of your money. And I remember one time stinky Mike said, you know, his, his take was whoever comes to help me clean up my garbage shitty house can have my money. <laughs> and yeah, perhaps unsurprisingly, there were never any takers. No one ever wanted to go near Stinky Mike's garbage shitty house because it was a, it was a horrible looking place. Again, it just covered in trash. Hmm. Um, and when he finally passed, they, someone of course had to clean it out and they found decades or I want to say, yeah, probably two decades worth of uncashed pension checks. Yeah. Just sitting around that he'd never drawn on because he just didn't need the money. But he, he was, yeah, he was quite the old guy. They, they said that when he was younger, his house kept getting broken into 
by these kids mm. or they, who they figured were kids. So one day he, he put his lunch pail together and, and faked going to work. Then he went and hid in the bushes with a 22. And uh, these kids tried to break into his house and he shot him in the ass. <laughs> Brilliant. And the, the cops came out because, you know, even in Revelstoke at that time, gunfire draws attention. Yes. And the cops said, Mike, we appreciate where you're coming from on this, uh, but you can't just shoot people. You, you just can't. It, this is frowned upon even even out here on the frontiers of society, which is Revelstoke in the 60s. Mm. Um, but I assume those two boys learned a valuable lesson, which is, uh, yeah, make sure the person whose house you're breaking into is really gone. But uh, anyways, that just reminded me of our own, our own pervy Mike. Thank you again, Teresa. That was wonderful. Uh, again, I'm sure... I'm sure you made Mike a happy ghost. And Mike, wherever you are, my hat is off to you, sir, for braving the gulf between this life and the next for that. For her words, titties. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the team, Lou Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on, uh, well, for everything they do, for everything they do, for helping out with research to helping me out with email or Facebook. Rachel helps out with Facebook. I, I Again, I just really appreciate it, guys, and uh, it means a ton. And, of course, thank you to you, Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson host of Mysteries and Monsters, for keeping me company, as always. And folks, you might be wondering, why the hell does it keep getting rid of Paul right in the beginning of the C-segment? And there is a reason, and it's not because I don't want him around, I swear. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, it is because Paul is in the UK, so Paul is eight hours ahead of us. And so, but because we are gossiping constantly like two old men in between segments, um, <laughs> it takes us about 150 years to actually record a full show. And by the time we're done, it is about, uh, you know, I think one time it was like 1 a.m., in England by the time we finished. And Paul actually has a, a day job as well. So th that is why, again, it is, it's not because I don't want to have to talk to him anymore. I swear it is because <laughs> he is on a different time zone. And unlike me, he must sleep at human hours. Yeah. Not a good choice. No, no, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm repping that Peter Pan life as long as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you. Hold on to that dream. Hold on to that <laughs> dream as long as you can. When necessity takes over, you know, you're fighting a losing battle. Stay gold, pony boy. <laughs> So, Paul, what do you have coming up on uh, Mysteries and Monsters? I've got uh, a couple of paranormal episodes coming up. I've got uh, Amanda from Spook Eats uh, this week. Oh, I'm looking forward to that one. Which was good fun, talking about a couple of new projects and a, and a charitable book that she's just released as well. Um, I've got Dr. Rob Gandy's comeback to talk about uh, a very strange series of events in an area of Lincolnshire known as the Ruskington Horror. Oh, that sounds appealing. Um, so he appeared way back on episode 48. We talked about hitchhiking ghosts, ironically. Oh, so, yeah, uh, that was a good a, one. A move on from there. Um, and then we've got a couple of other strange things. I've, I've got Stephen Bassett um, coming on. So we'll be talking about UFO disclosure. And I've got a couple of really exciting interviews planned for March, which as, as I've bored you with, I am terribly, terribly excited. Uh, <laughs> One of them covers my favorite subject, which is, of course, poltergeists. Yes. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to those shows, especially the uh, Stephen Bassett one and then the 
the mystery show, the mystery poltergeist show. I'm, I, I'm think that's going to be a really good one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, folks don't forget to check out his, uh, interview with members of the Olympic project. Even if you're not into Bigfoot stuff, I think that is worth checking out because there is some really fascinating information in there. And it's just a, it's a great conversation by people who know their shit on a particular subject. And again, I, I I'm kind of more of a Bigfoot skeptic, but, uh, even I found th- some compelling, uh, some compelling arguments in that show. So make sure to check that out. Yeah, and some lovely audio to help you sleep on a cold and dark night. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> You're very welcome. And where can everyone find you on social media, Paul? Uh, so you can find us uh, at mysteriesandmonsters.com. There's the website. Whereas Mysteries and Monsters across all social media networks. And you can also find the show Mysteries and Monsters wherever you get your podcast from. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, my friend, and we will talk again soon. My pleasure. And now it's time to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, I've said it before, I'll say it again. You guys are the best. I can never tell you how much I appreciate your support. It allows the show to exist in the first place. It it allows it to grow, allows us to experiment and try different things. And I could never properly thank you enough. However, I'm going to try. And I'm going to start with our newest patrons. Who are Devin C, Jaime Vasquez, Kelly Long, Lori Lockwood, Nikki Woodward, Stephen Rogers, Karen Farnsworth, Stacy Dean, and Todd Curley. Thank you so, so much, guys. Again, from the bottom of my terrible black heart, I thank you. And if you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have tiers at the 1, 5, 10, 20, and $50 levels with all kinds of good stuff like bonus episodes, the Sunken Library, which has become really popular. And that is a long form storytelling show where I share listener stories that are too long for the main show or just otherwise spooky topics that just don't quite fit the first person narrative style that we've developed on this show. And sometimes I'm joined by Paul, sometimes it's just me. And there are other guests coming up. I actually have just... uh, scheduled an interview with a fellow who owns a haunted pub and there's uh, someone else in the pipeline as well so lots of cool stuff happening over in the patreon and of course there's the entire back catalog of bonus material there's the monthly movie watch alongs movie nightish where paul and i and uh, a guest sometimes will watch a movie this month we're going to be watching snow beast with our patrons how it works is paul and i have a video feed we all hit play at the same time And we just make fun of the movie as we go. You guys can write in via comments, and and it's a ton of fun. Uh, Spoiler alert, actually, uh, next month for March, we don't know what movie we're watching yet, but we know we will will be joined by our friend Kevin Eustace. Of course, we all know Kev from We Need to Talk About Ghosts, and I'm so, so excited for that. And he's actually going to be joining us as a guest host on this show as well. So that is, uh, yeah, it's always a good time when Kev's around. So I'm looking forward to that. Again, if you want to get in on the action... That's patreon.com slash guys. If you want to get in touch, you can find us pretty much anywhere on social media. We're on Instagram as the ghost story guys. We're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok as ghost story guys. And uh, TikTok is this thing where we're trying something new and we're doing time-lapse videos of creepy drawings by Wanda Fraser, who also does the dark art feature over, over on our Instagram. And those things that can only be found on those platforms. So if you want to check them out, make sure to give us a follow both at the ghost story guys on Instagram and ghost story guys on TikTok. 
If you want to send us a story, I would love to read it. You can do that at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you want to send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, that's totally fine. But if you're going to send a story, send it to the email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And last episode, I mentioned that we were pushing the mini shows back into March because correspondence just hadn't recovered yet from obviously all the, the drama at the beginning of the year. But we had a lot of folks respond to that. And that was really heartening. Thank you very, very much. And again, the more correspondence we get, the sooner we are likely to start the mini shows back up. And I am still aiming for March. I think we are, we're getting close to having enough material to just safely start that back up again. Because I, I don't want to do the thing where we started back up and then, you know, we don't have enough material. So we have to stop doing them for a while. You know, I feel like that would be, that'd be kind of a bummer. I like to be, I like to be reliable when I can. But uh, yeah, thanks again so much, guys, for getting in touch. It, it means a lot to know you're out there. I, I do truly appreciate it. And if you want to get in touch, but you don't want to type, you can always call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're going to call ghost line. Call one 888 Huge thanks to our listener Amber Pease for her ghost line jingle. That number is one 588 6920 And once we start the mini shows back up, those messages will be played there. You can also text us at 925-553-4789. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. There you can find links to our Redbubble, TeePublic, and Big Cartel stores. TeePublic and Redbubble have shirts and mugs and all kinds of good stuff. Big Cartel has signed copies of my book. We also have pins and art cards with my night photography, all of which you can find, again, by heading to ghoststoryguys.com and following the links. If you could rate and review the show wherever you find your podcasts, we would certainly appreciate that too. It helps bump the numbers and get some eyes on the show. Just leave a five-star review anywhere you can. Finally, our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, was composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by following the link in the show notes or by searching for Hexagram, wherever you get your music. And again, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. All other music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for pod-safe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com to check them out. I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go. It is I. Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> and so I, I sent him a text and said, hey, man, is there anything on the news about, you know, a fucking apocalypse? <laughs> oh, hang on. Somebody decided to go racing past. Did you hear that? <laughs> other, than, other than being accidentally induced with deep heat muscle rub. Oh, no. Yeah. I remember a, a particularly fraught occasion, but after... Uh, Chopping jalapenos for um, oh. fajitas. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, wash your hands real well, kids, is what I'm going to say. I swear I'm a professional. I swear. <laughs> I'm not saying fucking anything after that. <laughs> Tongue-twisting toss pot there I was then. I think we've managed some kind of small miracle because we've got two stories left and it's only been 90 minutes. <laughs> that's that's got to be a record, I think. I think last time by this point we were two full fucking hours. <laughs> Of course, that doesn't include the 20-minute digression on Rambo. So, you know, there, there is that. <laughs> yeah, he has that effect. Rambo and Andrew Dice Clay. Those two icons. <laughs> of steroid users and cocaine addicts of the world over. I know you live in America. You can't afford a therapist, but talk to your wife. <laughs> Holy shit. You're just on social media opening a vein and... What, you need my son some coping mechanisms? <laughs> So I will do the first story, which will not be about Rambo, disappointingly. <laughs> when I used to work for the Ministry of Education, we get calls like that. I have an insane thing to say. Okay. Uh, does that relate to my position in any way? Maybe? Okay. So no. Back in those days, I didn't want to see people. It, I, I didn't. And now I can't. I want to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have learned a valuable lesson about the uh, the, the value of human companionship. Right. Well, you, you two have a domestic and I'll... <laughs> Yeah. Mom, dad, don't fight. Did I ever tell you the, the story of the Marysville shoe drop? No. Okay. So uh, this will just take a minute. Back in 2014, my cousin and I drove down to Portland for the HP Lovecraft Festival. Mm. Uh, but the way we had it planned was the first night we went as far as Northport, uh, Washington, or North Bend, Washington, and then the next night down to Portland. And I can't remember exactly why we did that. I think because we had to leave later than we would like, and this is kind of the way the ferry times worked out. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I remember, because North Bend is near Snoqualmie where they filmed Twin Peaks. We wanted to go see the the, the Double R Diner mm. and the, um, the, the spot where they used to have the Twin Peaks sign. That's why yeah. we did it. So anyways, that night, we're on our way to North Bend, but we start getting hungry, and we pass this place called a little town called Marysville, where they have this spot called Don's Diner. And it's a 24-hour diner. And I, I love diners. Mm. Um, less so now that I can't eat dairy. You know, I have to be a lot more cautious. But still, I mean, I love being in them. You know, I'll sit in a diner and drink coffee all night if, if, I, if I can. So anyways, I said to my cousin, we got to go check this out. We pull into Don's Diner. We order our food. It's diner food. I love it. We're having a great time. And then uh, we get up to go to the, we ask the, the, the waiter, you know, which way to the bathroom? And the waiter, says, he points it out and he says, well, and he says, just so you know, there's a sign on the door that says it's locked, but it's not. He said, we just, we have to do that because people will sneak in there and do bad things. And kind of look at him and he leans in and says, drugs. <laughs> okay, sure. Yep. That's bad. I understand what you're saying. I understand why that would make you uncomfortable. So anyways, my cousin goes and uses the bathroom. Then I go and I meet him out in the parking lot where he's uh, leaning on my car, smoking a cigarette. Mm. Well, out of nowhere, we hear a male voice go, hey guys. And we turn and look and there's this wiry little guy. And I, I want to say he's wearing like a, a black and red plaid shirt, but I'm not like over shirt, work shirt. I'm not totally sure though. But he rolls up on, a, on an old bicycle and he's got a Burger King bag looped around the handlebars of his bike. Yeah. And he goes, hey guys. And Mike and I look at each other and I say, oh, hey man, how's it going? And he goes, oh, not bad, not bad. Man, Christ, I haven't seen you guys 
anywhere. Where the fuck? When the fuck? When's the last time I saw you? And I said, oh shit, I can't remember because I'm just, I, I have no idea who this man is, but I'm just going to roll with it and see where this goes. This is my life ball. Roll with it, see where it goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh shit, man, I don't know. I don't remember. It's been a while. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh shit, no, I remember. It was a party at, and he says someone's house. It was a party at their house, right? And I said, fuck yeah, that might be it, man. That might be it. And he goes, yeah, that was a great time. And he looks at my cousin, and my cousin is a big, tall guy. He's about six, I want to say he's like he's six, two, six, three, something like that. Yeah. A big beard. And he goes, man, you were fucking crazy. He points to my cousin. He says, like, a goddamn beard. He said, you were swinging that axe, you fucking scary bastard. It was hilarious, though. <laughs> and my cousin, he, he's, he's like, pauses with a cigarette halfway to his lips. He goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, you know how it is. And the guy goes, oh, shit, yeah, I know how it is, man. He goes, look, hey, is, uh, is we'll say Nancy, is Nancy working? I said, ah, shit, man, I don't know. I said, like, what do you mean you don't know? Weren't you just in there? I said, yeah, but I, I didn't see her. He's like, what do you mean you didn't see her? Do you not know who Nancy is? And I said, I, I, to be honest, man, I don't know Nancy. He's like, oh, fuck, I don't, okay, okay, well, look, he said, I was going to my meeting, you know, my meeting, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, you yeah, had your meeting. And he goes, but my ex is there, and you know she's got that restraining order. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So he's like, I, I couldn't go to the meeting and I ended up meeting this homeless guy in the park and he had a, he had a fifth of vodka and he said he would share some with me, but I had to get him chili fries. So I went over to the Burger King and Randy's working. So he gave me some free fries, but I got to get the chili. So I'm going to go in and see if Nancy's working, see if she'll give me some free chili so I can take these, these chili fries back to the homeless guy and he'll give me some of his vodka. I'm like an NPC in a fetch quest. <laughs> So I said, okay, yeah, sure, man. Go, um, yeah. And he's like, look, I got to go in. Uh, can you guys watch my bike for me? I mean, I guess. He's like, cool, 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 cool. I'm just going to leave it, leave it here. Is it okay if I lean it against your car? I'm like, yeah, go for it, man. Cool, cool. All right, look, I'm going to lean it here. Um, he said, like, don't steal my bike, please. Because, you know, I mean, you can because I couldn't catch you. But that would be shitty. Yep. <laughs> I agree. That, that would be super shitty. I won't, we won't steal your bike. Cool, cool. He's like, don't eat my fries either. I want that vodka. Yeah, man. It's all good. You, we, we will not touch your fries. <laughs> so he leans the bike against my car, runs inside, and my cousin looks at me and says, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> I said, I don't know, man. I don't know. I got no idea. Uh, but we're just going to roll with it and see where it goes. He's like, man, I'm waiting for someone to bust us with this bike and we're going to find out it's shoved full of meth or something. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't trust it. And... These guys kind of roll past in this car and they slow down and they go, nice bike, man. Thanks, man. Thanks. You have a good one. Yeah, man. You too. Again, my cousin says, what is happening? <laughs> Don't know. Don't know, but they liked meth bike. So dude comes back out. He's got a thing of chili. He's like, oh yeah. He said, Nancy wasn't working, but you know, it's so-and-so. She knows me. She gave me the chili. So oh, shit, well, that worked out well. He goes, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. It's like, oh, thanks for looking after my bike, man. You, you guys fucking rock. I really appreciate that. And uh, he goes, well, I'm going to go get drunk. Um, he's like, you guys don't want to come, right? Like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. Oh, yeah, cool, cool. Okay. And then he, my cousin, my cousin, again, he's smoking. And, and this guy goes, hey, you, uh, you going to finish that one? And he goes, tell you what. He said, just, just have one, you know, have, uh, or sorry, no, he goes, no, man, it's, it's all yours. Go ahead. And so this dude, wiry guy takes a smoke and he's about to put it to his lips. And he goes, wait, you don't have herpes, do you? <laughs> and my cousin goes, no, we don't have fucking herpes. And the guy goes, no, 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 her fees. He goes, oh, you guys are too young to get it. Anyways, catch you later, guys. Just puts his fucking cigarette in his mouth, gets on his bike and toddles off. And my cousin looks at me and says, 
Let's get the fuck out of here right now. <laughs> and we, we drove down to, uh, to North Bend after that, but I swear to God, the whole way, we were just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. You know, we were waiting for the DEA to just spring out of the trunk or something. I don't know. For for just like villains made entirely of crystal meth to start pummeling our car with their jagged fists. It, it was a strange, strange experience. But uh, anyways, uh, time for you to tell a story. Um, oh, no, it's time for me to start. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Who's got missing time now? Yeah, right. Who's on meth? <laughs> Is he a mummus? <laughs> For privacy's sake, I can't disclose that. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.